Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. Questions that God asks us, okay? Questions God asks you. In, in Scripture, in the Bible, there are several times that God asks someone a question. Um, I counted, I went through really quickly and counted like 22 um, questions that God asked uh, people throughout the Bible. And then I put it out on Facebook. I said, hey, I'm trying to come up with a complete list here, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be 40, 50. I don't know. There's many, many. I mean, Job alone. God asked Job alone, like, I don't know, 70 questions or something ridiculous like that. <clears throat> so, um, but specifically, the questions that I want to hone in on are the questions that are in the Scripture that God asks that I think he asks every single person. I think there's a couple of those, a few of those, that he actually asked every single person. I'll give you an example. Jesus said this in, uh, in the Gospels. He actually asked Peter this question. He said, who do you say that I am? Okay, that's a question he asked Peter. But listen, that's a question that each and every one of us have to answer. At some point in our life or some point in eternity, that's the question. That's, a, that's like maybe the most important question that God will ever ask. Who do you say that? What, do you do, what are you doing with Jesus? Okay. So that's an example of the kind of questions we're going to be tackling um, in this series. So we'll see how far we get with this. There's, we don't have time to do a message on every single question, of course. We'd be here till, you know, several years from now if we, if we took a week on every single question. But <clears throat> what I want to start off by saying is that when God asks us a question, how many know that he is not looking for information? Okay. He's not looking to learn something when God asks a question of you. Why? Because God is all-knowing. He possesses the ability to know everything that there is to know. It's called omniscience, right? The ability to know everything that there is to know. God's never, God never woke up. <clears throat> you know how you wake up and you just have like, <clears throat> I just had an epiphany. Something just occurred to me. Nothing, nothing has ever occurred to God. He's never had an epiphany. Nothing just came to his mind. He possesses all knowledge. He, he knows what will happen. He knows what has happened. He's perfect in knowledge and understanding. This is one of his divine attributes. It's one of the things that makes him God, right? And one of the things that makes us not God, that we don't know everything. <clears throat> so if God is not looking to receive information from us when he asks a question, what is he looking for? Okay, I propose that there's three things that he is looking for or looking to do when he asks a human a question. Number one, I think he is looking to share information. So he'll ask a question, right? He'll ask a question, and there are times he knows we don't have the answer, but he's leading us to the answer, okay? Um, the second thing I think he wants to do when he asks a question is to give revelation, um, he'll ask a question because he wants to reveal something about himself, or there are times he wants to reveal something about you, right? How many know you don't know everything about you? I don't know everything about me. Sometimes people around me tell things about me that I didn't realize, you know, we all have those blind spots, right? We all have blind spots. Um, recently, someone told me that, um, that I, always, I always take the side of the underdog, and I didn't realize, like, in my relationships, like, you always take the side of the underdog. And I asked my wife, I was like, is that true? And she goes, I think it is true, you know, that I kind of always gravitate towards the underdog. And that's not always actually the right thing to do, either take the person who's perceived as the underdog. So 
we don't know everything about us. You don't know everything about you, okay? God wants to, God will reveal, ask questions sometimes to lead us to a revelation about him or about yourself. And I, and yet I would even say this, there are times where we actually have all the correct information about a situation, but we're thinking about it totally wrong. Like the way we're processing the information that we have is totally wrong. And sometimes God will pose questions to get us to change the way we think about the facts of a situation, okay? <clears throat> so, so he does it to share information, he does it to give revelation, and ultimately he does this to bring transformation. Transformation to you and transformation to the world around you. This strategy that God has, um, it's something that God did, um, that both God did in the Old Testament and something that Jesus did often in the New Testament. And um, here's the fact. Um, good fathers ask questions, right? Good, you ever ask your, your kids a question and it's like you already know the answer to it, but you're trying to lead them like, you know, when you told them not to do something, they did it anyway. And then the question's like, so what'd you learn? You know, <laughs> what'd you learn is a good question. Good fathers ask questions. How many know good teachers ask questions? Right? Good teachers ask questions. And we have our, our, our city groups here. We actually tell the people leading our city groups, I'm like, um, don't do all the talking. Ask questions. You know, you should be talking um, 30% of the time, and the people in your group should actually be doing 70% of the interaction and talking. Ask questions and lead them. It's a facilitated um, discussion leading them to a truth, okay? So good teachers ask questions. How many know good counselors will ask questions, right? What were you feeling when you made that really bad decision and blew up your entire life? Okay, next time you feel that way, let's uh, call someone, call a friend. Hey, I'm feeling this way instead of blowing up your life, right? So good counselors <clears throat> will ask questions. Um, so when, but when God asks a question, it's never to bring condemnation, guilt, or shame to us. He'll ask questions to lead us to truth, all right? And I would say personally, some of, the, some of the greatest growth I have had in my own life is when God asks me a question. Um, like, for example, why does that bother you so much? Kurt, what are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of that? What's going on? Or how about this one? Um, you're in a situation, you're praying, what should I do? And God said, hey, what counsel would you give to someone else if they were in that situation? Okay, sometimes, and, and listen, I just want to, this is a good place to just pause and say this. Your prayer life with God shouldn't just be one way. We talked, of course we talked to God. Listen, he talks to us. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. You have the right as a son or daughter of God to hear his voice. You have the right to hear his voice. Okay. Now, sometimes that's hard for different reasons to discern God's voice, but he does speak to you. And maybe we should talk more about how to discern the voice of the Lord in our lives. Because he, sp he speaks to us in different ways as well. The way he speaks to my wife is different than the way he speaks to me. And so, um, but God talks to us. And I will say this idea of asking questions, this actually happened here corporately one time. We, we had a prophetic word come forward. God was asking a question. And the question was this. The question was this. I don't know if you guys remember this. Someone had a word. And the, the question was this. God was asking this question. What am I worried about? What am I worried about? Well, God's not worried about anything, is he? Right? He, there, I mean, there are things he has his focus on. He's in, he's in, his ear is inclined to certain things, but God is not worried about anything, okay? So that even happened in a service during the, during the time of uh, ministry at our church. So, um, so we're going we're gonna to go after this. So the first question that we're going to tackle is the first question 
in the entire Bible that God asks. It's actually not the first question. It's the first question that God asks in the entire Bible. And this is the question. Where are you? Okay. Where are you? We're going to, we'll read, uh, this is going to be found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Um, it says this, now the serpent, or the devil, Satan, Lucifer, um, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Or you will die. Um, <laughs> that was a Julie, uh, Julian Smith reference. Okay, if you guys don't know, never mind. <laughs> um, I actually find this interesting. Did you know that, that there's not a, re a record in scripture of God telling Eve or the devil not to eat from the, from the tree? It actually... Um, in chapter 2, God tells Adam, don't eat from this tree. And he actually said, he didn't say, don't touch it. So I don't know where that extra information came from. Um, as far as we can tell, God told Adam, don't eat from this tree. And then he relayed this information to Eve. And I don't even know how the devil found out about this, like this information, right? Because God told Adam. Uh, maybe it's, it's possible that this wasn't Satan's first go at this. Maybe he tried it on Adam, and maybe he tried it from different angles. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't the first time. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that uh, the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So she saw this fruit had, it was uh, pleasing to the eye, had an aesthetic need, there was a physical need that it was meeting, and an intellectual need that it seemed to, that it would meet. So Satan's like, hey, God's, uh, he's holding out on you, you don't have everything you need, he's, he's, there's revelation he's not giving you, but if you eat from this tree, it's going to meet these needs for you, okay? She also um, gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as, they were, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. This is the, the verse that we're going to look at. Verse 9, but, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? Okay, first question God asked in the entire Bible, where are you? I'd like to propose to you that God, in his all-knowingness, was not trying to find out where Adam is, right? If God can't find you, you're really lost, right? <laughs> you are lost. <laughs> where are you? You can't find me. There's no hope for us here. Okay, God was actually not curious about Adam's geographic location. This is what I feel like. This is what I feel like God was actually asking. Adam... What has happened to our connection? Adam, what? Where is our intimacy? Like we were, Adam, we were connected. We had intimacy. We had perfect fellowship and all, but now I'm, where are you? We're not connected anymore, right? Eve, what's going on here? What's, what's going on? We were connected. We were all one. We were connected. In other words, I think he was saying this, Adam, where's your heart? Adam, where's your heart? Where'd, where'd you go? Where'd you go? <clears throat> How many know that, I, I, think, I think each person, God asks this question of us 
for sure when we, when we come to faith in him. But at times as a believer, as a Christian, there are times where he's like, where are you at, man? Where's your heart? You know, where's our connection? Where's our intimacy? What's going on with you, right? He's not literally looking for your geographic location. He's asking the question, how's your heart? Where are you at with me? Okay, Genesis 3.10, this is what um, Adam answers. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Okay, essentially Adam, and I love when Greg was up here talking about, man, there was that point in his life where I'm just lost, I'm in darkness, I couldn't rescue myself from this. Essentially, Adam answers, he says, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. I'm, and, I'm, and now I'm experiencing something I've never experienced before. They had never experienced fear. Fear. They eat from, they eat from the fruit, and like a wave, fear, guilt, condemnation, all of a sudden rush into the situation. Okay? Has this ever happened to you? And even as a believer, I think this happens to us. We could just find ourselves in a mess, right? And you're like, God, I don't even know how I got here. God, I don't know how to get out of this mess. I don't know where you are. I need some help. Okay, I'm lost. I feel disconnected from you. So I want to, let me just highlight a couple of the symptoms of the fallen nature and what, how we combat that, how, how God wants to combat that. Okay, symptoms of the fallen nature. Number one, they hid from God, right? They hid from God. That is a symptom of the fallen nature. Now, we do this too when we mess up, but this is, listen, when we, when we actually forget who we are, we do this. We hide from God, don't we? When we forget who we are, we forget um, our value in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> the one person they needed to run to is the one person they're now running from, right? It is the same with you and me. When we stumble along the way, there's the one person that we should be running to. Sometimes we run away from, okay? There's, there's two interpretations when you, when you mess up. It could be like, uh-oh, I messed up. Dad's going to kill me, right? Let me tell you the Christian response, what it should be. Uh-oh, I messed up. I need my dad. I need my dad. He's going to help me, okay? All right, so <clears throat> just kind of illustrate this. I remember when my kids were, were little. Like, I, say, I would say ages three to five is the maximum cuteness that they max out at. <laughs> Right? Two and a half, you know, they're not quite there, but three, it's like they're starting to peak there on the maximum cuteness level. Right up to about five. So parents of, I can't give you advice about raising teenagers. I've never done it before. I can give you advice about raising littles because I've done that before. And I will say, if, if you have a, a kid between the ages of three and five, you need to savor every moment, that they, every cute thing they do, because it's not going to last. Because six is coming. And it's a little more awkward, and seven's more awkward than that, and eight is more awkward than that. Right up into junior high years, this is the most awkward time of your whole life, right? That's, the, that's awkwardness maxed out, is junior high. And then it comes down a little bit. But you're never as cute as you are between the ages of three and five. And so I have this, I wish I'd gotten on video. I never did. I didn't think it would stop, but it did stop. Um, I have this memory of my, my younger daughter, Evie. She would hear the garage door. And I, I would come home, and I'd open the door, and I would hear every time. This happened, this happened for several years. Daddy, daddy, daddy. 
And she'd come running, and we have some steps to our lower level, and it's about this high. And then I'd get here, and she would just jump. Whether I'm ready or not, she would jump, you know. I had to be ready, because if I had stuff in my arms, it was like, well, you know, she would just jump, put her arms around me, wrap her legs around me, you know. That happened for several years, and I didn't know that would end, you know. But it did end. Okay, so save her the moment. Okay, guys? Now, just to, just to kind of help drive this point home, I have a couple pictures. So let's go ahead and put up the first one. This is her when she was, you know, that age. Now, I know this is my kid, so I'm going to be the most, like, excited about this. Look at that face, you guys. That's the girl that would, you know, you know, jump on me and then go to the next one. Okay, these are my babies when they were just super little. They were running through the sprinklers. They got cold, right? I just cherish that moment, right? Those, those super good times. Okay, can you imagine... If one day I come home, one day, and she's saying, Daddy, Daddy, you know, jumping, jumping on me. And then can you imagine one, the next day I come home, and all of a sudden the garage door opens, I come in the house, she's nowhere to be found, and I find her hiding in a closet. Right? Can you imagine if, like, where are, what are you doing? What are you doing in the closet? Well, I heard you coming, and I was afraid. I was afraid of you. I was terrified of you. Can you imagine that, what that would feel like? I think this is what it's like. When Adam and Eve fell, when man fell, they're used to, God's used to coming into the garden in the cool of the day. They hear the Lord coming and they come straight to him. They come straight to God and embrace him and, you know, just hang out with God, right? And then all of a sudden, one day, God's like, I mean, he knew it was going to happen because he's God. But the next day, he's like, Adam, Eve, where are you? Where are you guys? Oh, I was... I was afraid because I was naked, you know, so I hid from you. Okay. <clears throat> we do this from time to time, okay? People do all the time. They run from God. They hide from God. That's the first symptom of the fallen nature. The second symptom of the fallen nature is they felt separated from God in their heart, okay? When Adam and Eve sinned, they experienced a spiritual death the moment they disobeyed God. And as a result, actually, as a result, all of created order, because Adam and Eve have dominion over the earth, all created order began to decay. It's, I think this is probably where entropy started, where things that created order began to decay because the one who had, had dominion over it fell. Okay? And really, the physical death that we experience at 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, that physical death is really a manifestation of the spiritual death that Adam and Eve, that happened with Adam and Eve at the very beginning. Okay, so that spiritual death happened. Fear, guilt, condemnation rushes in. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21, it says this. Um, Paul says this. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Okay, so previous to, to knowing Christ, we're separated and alienated in our minds because of our evil behavior. When Adam and Eve fell, this wall of separation came up between them and God. I would say it was more, existed more in Adam and Eve's mind than it did in God's. Because listen, who was, who was the pursuer? God was still coming after them, which is a good key for you to remember. He's the pursuer. He's the one coming after them. He's looking for them in the garden, okay? So that's the second um, symptom of a fallen nature. The third symptom of the fallen nature is that they tried to create their own redemption. They tried to self-rescue from this problem. I think one of the clearest signs that we don't understand the finished work of the cross is when we um, try to reform to be good enough for God. We try to clean ourselves up to be good enough. And this is what the world does. 
This is exactly, really every other religion in the world, I would say, is some form of me reforming to be good enough for God, right? Christianity, um, the definition of religion would maybe be um, man's obligation to God. Christianity is the, the other way around. It's what, what this God did. He came and he served us, and it's his provision that he provided for us on the cross, okay? So one of the clearest signs of the fallen nature is when we try to self-rescue. Adam and Eve's eyes were open. They realized they had lost their spiritual covering, okay? In fact, I think that, yes, they were physically naked, but I think that they felt, even more than that, spiritually naked, spiritually uncovered. And so they're trying to find anything to cover their shameful nakedness. So they're sewing fig leaves together, right? They're trying to recover themselves. Um, and so look at this, verse, verse 7, uh, Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is one of the telltale signs that we don't understand the finished work of the cross when we try to clean ourselves up to come to God, okay? So this is what happens. People, people are like this. I should go to church first, or I should go to church, but first I'm going to kind of get my act together for God, right? Uh, I should give my life to Jesus, but first I'm going to try to walk pretty good, like, for a couple weeks, and then I'll give my life to God, right? It's kind of like um, people who, you should go to the doctor, but you want to lose 10 pounds first. So a little less guilt there, you know? I should go to the dentist, but I'm going to floss for a month first, right? I should go to the mechanic, but maybe, maybe I should change the oil before I go to the mechanic. That way he doesn't think I'm a total nerd, you know? Um, I should go to the Financial Peace uh, City Group, but first I'm going to cut up some credit cards and get like $100 saved, you know, so the, the condemnation's not so, so bad there, okay? This is kind of our nature, isn't it? We kind of like, um, we need help. We need help, but we want to like do a little to make it, you know, look good. We, we try to create our own redemption, okay? And so, listen, what I want to say about this, the act of repentance is not the root of grace. It's the fruit of grace. Okay? People can't change unless grace comes in to change them. You can't clean yourself up, okay? Repentance is not the root of grace. It's the fruit of grace. And this is why many times when you talk about your faith, and I talk to people about Jesus, a lot of times the questions they start asking are like, well, what are the rules, you know? So can you do this? Can you do that? Can you not do that? You know? They, they go into rule mode because they want to know the rules. This is, this is human nature. And I'm reluctant to give them a list of rules because I know if I can just get Jesus in there, he will trick them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You get Jesus in their heart, he's a, he's a better Lord than I am, <laughs> right? He will convict, he will do the work, right? I just need to get people to profess their faith and invite him in. Once he's in there, man, he's like, he will, he will move things around, right? Okay, so, and yes, here at church we talk about, you know, there's a way to live. The Bible talks about there's a way to live. But my primary goal was trying to, to get someone to believe in Jesus. Is just, let's just get them to believe. Holy Spirit will come in. Now we have something to work with. We got a guy on the inside, right? The guy on the inside will do the work, and we'll just kind of help where, help where help is needed, okay? Okay, so let me talk about these remedies. That, that These are the symptoms of the fallen nature. Let me talk about the remedies, okay? Remedy number one. Instead of hiding from God, run to him. Obviously. This is, this is duh. Instead of hiding from him, when you stumble along the way, run to him. Our, our tendency is like, my wife and I had a big fight, 
So, uh, you know, and I knew it was my fault or whatever. And I'm just going to, like, put my head down and, <laughs> you know, not pray until, like, I have a few good days and then I'm going to pray. Listen, just go immediately. Just when you mess up, as soon as you mess up, as soon as you stumble along the way, you don't need this waiting period to happen. Immediately go to God, okay? He's a good father. He has good plans for our lives. This is a cornerstone of our theology as, as a church is that he's good. He's good. He's a good father. He has good plans for your life. He doesn't want to shame you. Hebrews chapter 4, I love this verse, uh, four, uh, verses 14 through 16. It says this. Therefore, since we have, Lord, are you there? <laughs> By the way, Don, you got that deposit from, in your account. I'm like, who? Yeah. It was like, was the deposit from heaven, you know? I want, I want the, the routing number to that, whoever deposited. <laughs> I, could, I, could get, I could use some of that. Okay. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Okay, so just want you to notice, first of all, the high priest is Jesus. So when we read the rest of this, know that this is Jesus. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Okay? Let us approach God's throne with confidence and boldness. Why? So that that thing you're going through, you receive mercy and grace. And grace isn't just God's ability to overlook the stupid thing you're doing. That's not grace. Grace is God's divine empowerment for you to change. Amen? That's grace, okay? Grace will help you change. So run to God when you're doing good. Run to God when you're doing bad. Just run to him, okay? That's remedy number one. Remedy number two, when they felt separation from God, when you feel that separation from God, realize that in Christ there is no separation between you and the Father. There's no separation between you and God, okay? You might feel that way. How many feel that way sometimes? Why? Because your conscience is violated and your enemies and your minds because of your evil behavior. But the fact is that you, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, Yes, Father God is in heaven, but he literally dwells here in your heart, okay? There's no separation between you and God. He has mingled your spirit and his spirit. You're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, it says this. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, everyone say it, but now. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace and has made the two one and has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, there was a dividing wall of hostility. When we were enemies of God, he died for us, right? While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies with God, he died for us. This dividing wall of hostility has been torn down in Jesus, okay? And this is true, and this is what you need to remember. This is key. This is true whether you feel it or not, whether you feel this in your heart or not. And there are times where I, I would say, like, yeah, I'm going through life. I feel some separation. I feel some alienation. So sometimes by faith, I'm like, no, God, I know that in my heart I am one with you. There is literally no separation between me and you. And I don't know what this blockage is right now, but let's deal with it. Help me to know what this blockage is so that on my end, 
I can receive all the fullness that you have for me. Amen? Okay. Okay, God's remedy, number three. Instead of trying to create your own redemption, trust in the redemption that Jesus offers. In Genesis chapter 3.21, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 3, Um, When they tried to sew um, fig leaves together, God had provision for them. And this is what it says. Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and and his wife, and he clothed them. So God made clothes for them, right? They tried to clothe themselves with figs, leaves, and different things. God had provision for them to clothe them. Okay, this is, but what's awesome about this verse is this is actually a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us. How many know if you, you know, it's hard to get something skin if you don't kill it, right? He clothed them with garments of skin. How many know something has to die in order for that to happen? In order for something to die, there has to be some blood that's shed, right? And without the shedding of blood, there is what? All you Bible people. There's no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. God had provision for them. This is a foreshadowing of what God would do in Jesus. Okay? This is a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God that was sacrificed in order that our shameful nakedness could be covered. Okay? We are uncovered spiritually without Jesus. Jesus is our heavenly bridegroom, and he provided something for you to cover you spiritually. The blood of Jesus was shed for you that you could now be covered again. You could have that spiritual covering once again. Amen? He provided that covering for us. Our tendency is to create many times, and this is a symptom of the fall nature, to create our own redemption. I'm going to do good for well. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do some good deeds. I'm going to do some good merits. I'm going to give. I'm going to do this. And then I can be in the right relation with God. The key is to immediately realize what we've done and ask for God's provision and, and uh, his ability to keep us um, in his grace. Amen? Okay. Um, the Bible says that our best righteousness, like the best you can do, is as filthy rags to God. Okay, why? Because the standard of holiness was so much higher than that. But praise God, he provided something amazing for us. He provided grace for us. So we receive that. Amen? Okay, so question number one in this series, where are you? Where is your heart? Why don't you guys stand on your feet? I'm gonna, I just want to pray over you. Where are you? This is a question I think God asks every individual. I think he asks every human being on the face of this earth, on this earth, where are you? And you asked that question when you came to faith in Jesus, and I, I assume most are believers here. But I think God asks this question from time to time. Adam, where are you? Kurt, where are you? Why are you afraid? Why are you doing that thing you're doing? He, he wants to get at the heart of the issue with each and every one of us. All right? Are you letting God see in? Are you letting him see and are you letting him speak to your heart? Are you letting him show you the answer? Okay, um, let's pray. Father, I thank you for every individual in this room. God, I thank you that you provided on the cross provision for us to be close to you. That there's literally no distance, no alienation, no separation. But God, I, I believe there are some people here, Lord, and there are things in our minds that are, that are um, alienating us and separating us in our minds from you, God. And I just pray right now, um, for anyone here, they know what that thing is. Where are you? Where is your heart? Where is your intimacy? God wants to be so connected with you. It's like when, when uh, 
when you come home and your kids just jump in your arms, God wants to have that relationship with you. He's a good father who wants to connect with you. And there's some things that are causing you to hide. There's some things that are causing you to run. And I just feel like today God wants you to give that to him. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us and we hope you have a blessed week.